You got to shoot guns, and you, and you got to do it in an environment where people are going to say, "Listen, lady, we don't know that you can hack at you." Hello, everybody. We have Nikki Pretorius with us today. Nikki is a firearm trainer. She has a story to tell, which is one of challenge and success, and she's going to tell us in the process what is needed in terms of the Firearms Control Act to be compliant with the Act and to obtain a license. Nikki, I'm going to start by telling you a quick story. Way back in the late 1990s, I remember a person called Andre Pretorius who went and did some firearm training in America, and he came back with the idea that we need to standardize training because at that point, the training that was given was in no way, shape or form consistent and he believed that firearm training would be a major safety factor in the use possession of firearms. So I remember that first meeting and I know what happened over the last 20 years but I'd like you to tell us what has happened in the firearm training environment and particularly with reference to the International Training Academy, what it is, how it functions and why we have the International Training Academy. Hmm, I think that Andre Pretorius might be somebody I know. <laughs> so Andre was my husband. He passed away a little over a year ago. And the story goes back a little bit further than than when you're speaking about Martin. It goes back to when Andre was, was in high school and fresh out of high school, as the guys did in those days, he went off to the army. And very fast, they noticed that he had a particular skill in firearms. He hadn't had much exposure to firearms in those days before that. He sort of started to excel in terms of his firearms stuff in, in the military. And then when he came out of the military, he um, decided to go across to the States, which is where he went and did the courses at the NRA. I think he looked at the South African market and he saw an opportunity even way back then. So off he went to the States and he completed his courses at the NRA. He was asked to stay on longer and eventually did up to counselor status, which is the highest status that you can get. When did he form ITA? His training material began shortly after he came back because nothing like that existed in South Africa in terms of something on paper for firearm training. Um, And it evolved, and I think eventually in 1993, ITA was established as a company, ITA International Training Academy. We know now that training is compulsory to be able to license a firearm or to have access to a firearm. What does a person need to do if they want to apply for a firearm license or if they want to go into a trade or a profession where, a fire, where access to a firearm and use of a firearm is necessary? How does ITA fit into those requirements? The question's twofold, but I guess it would start with the basic training that is required for competency testing. So the person would need to apply for competency, and before that can take place, they need to have completed um, something that we call a double one double seven oh five, which is a unit standard based on knowledge of the Firearms Control Act. So that's where they'd start, whether it was handgun, shotgun, rifle, or manually operated rifle. They would go in and, and do that particular unit standard as well. I know what a unit standard is. <laughs> I think many people who listen to this will not know what a unit standard is. So if you can just briefly explain what 
makes up a unit standard. So as you said before, firearm training wasn't regulated really and there wasn't really any material in place for it. And as the industry and as, as South Africa's educational system evolved, the need was identified for a qualification or a course that was accredited. And an accredited course in this instance would be a unit standard based course. Now unit standard is is a part, it's a building block of a qualification. So um, in order for you to get your it's kind of like a medical degree. So you would study up to a certain point if you wanted to become a nurse. You would certainly study further if you wanted to become a, a GP and further if you wanted to become a specialist. The firearms qualification is no different to this. So if all you want to do is go ahead and get yourself a, a firearm for self-defense, you would need to do unit standard double one set, double seven oh five. You've touched mm-hmm. on an, a, an issue that I want to just highlight to everybody who's going to listen to this, and we need to maybe go into a little bit more detail a little later, and that is that we're not just talking about firearm training. We're talking about someone getting a qualification that would enable them to have a career with firearms. Sure. So that, I think, is a very important thing that is not understood by people who um, need firearm licenses, that there are career opportunities. Now, you've mentioned the basic building blocks. Can you explain to us what those what the progression of those building blocks is so people can understand um, if they want to become a security officer or if they want to become a firearm trainer, what they would need to do. Sure. So for your basic firearm training, that would be your basic your competencies, etc. For, for private owners, that would be a series we call the 119 series. There's a different unit standard for every firearm discipline, whether it's handgun, shotgun or rifle. And then if you wanted to become a security officer, you would have to take the next step and complete the double the 123 ser- unit standard series. And that would be based on business purposes. And that incorporates a little bit more of movement with a firearm um, and a little bit more in terms of when you may use your firearm in the security industry or in the security environment. So, yeah, that would be the next step for, for that. And then, of course, if you want to do, pursue a, a career in the firearm training environment, you would need to do an instructor unit standard. We suggest that somebody has a little bit more experience than completing the 119 and the 123 they series. They need to work with firearms. Absolutely. It's like a teacher. And, and these are all building blocks, aren't they? Absolutely. And, and the one follows the, the other. other. And I think what's important as well is that the fundamental purpose of a unit standard is to create some level of uniformity in training. That's it. So it doesn't matter where you go to as long as that person is accredited or that institution is accredited and we'll deal with accreditation mm-hmm. at some other point, then you can get the same basic standard of the training with the same content wherever you go. And that means that people qualify with the same level of skill. That's right. And how ITA plays a role in that is we provide training material to the various training providers across the country. We're not the only lead service provider, but we certainly are the largest. And the reason for that is because our material is a step above the, above the rest. And that leads into a topic that uh, we need to touch upon because we talked about um, your husband, Andre, and him developing the training material. Um, Andre passed away, as you said, about a year ago. And he was instrumental in creating the basic requirements, the basic qualifications through Mm -hmm. what we call a standards generating body in those days. And he set up ITA, as you say, it was a a lead service provider and it was, it is the largest training institution 
in the country, and you're going to explain the breakdown uh, of the structure of ITA. But what you haven't told us is how you, as a young, attractive lady, <laughs> came to run the largest training institution in the country in, a, in, in what would be characterized typically as a very male-dominated environment. Yet you sit here and you are in charge of the largest firearm training <laughs> body in the country. So tell us that story. I think the best place to start there is people deal with things differently. And I'm lucky in that I deal with things, for lack of a better word, and probably one that's suiting to the industry aggressively. So while while other people may take a step back and need time, um, how I dealt with things was I climbed into it. So and this, I got, is, this is after Andre's death? After Andre's death. I got my hands dirty. Um, and how, how how else would I have dealt with it? What else was there to do other than take on something incre- that had been built by this incredible person who lived and breathed his industry, which is also why I was able to take over the, the position because he brought his work home and because he lived the industry. It was hard not to get caught up in that role. And caught up, I am. I think it's important to note that I don't have to be here. There's nowhere else I would rather be. And I see it as a complete honor to be able to work with the people that are that are in the industry and to continue Andre's legacy for quality firearm training um, in South Africa. And that was what was most important to him. So I'm here to stay and I'm here to take ITA and the firearms industry to the next level. We know that Andre died just over a year ago. Were you qualified at that point? <laughs> to, to, to take over firearm training. What did you have to do? And perhaps in explaining what you had to do, we can tell the people who are listening the steps that you need to do to get to where you are because you had to fight your way to a great extent um, in a male environment and you had to force the respect of people that traditionally were out of a, a very conservative environment. I, I want the success story of a woman in firearms to be a message to anyone who wants to go into the industry, that this industry is open to anybody. It absolutely is. I started a year ago. I have an honors degree in corporate communications. And so to answer your question, no, I was not qualified for this position, not in any way. I did have my, my firearm license. I did have a firearm. I carried from time to time. But it was a requirement for me, and and possibly I could have got away with just continuing with the manuals as they were, the training material as, as, as it was, etc. But it was important to me to delve into the industry and understand everything that was going on. And it was a respect thing for me. I needed, not only did I need other people's respect, but I wanted to show my respect to the industry and to Andre through achieving everything I needed to achieve to be respected in the industry. And qualify. And, and qualify. And that, that for me was, was what that was about. So I spent the year qualifying. I'm an advanced level tactical instructor. So tell us, tell us what that means <laughs> because people are listening to this and they, they don't know what you have to do to become you got to get your hands dirty. <laughs> you got to shoot guns. you got to shoot guns. And you've you got to do it in an environment where people are going to say, listen, lady, we don't know that you can hack at you. Yep. But you manage. So that's tell us that. First, I have to say that I'm incredibly lucky because I'm surrounded by incredible people. Um, Andrew never did anything in, in isolation. Uh, he worked very closely with people in the industry, and he's got what we call a board of counselors. And I fell back on these counselors who come from various backgrounds with various um, expertise. But essentially, yes, I started with um, my basic firearm training. I had handgun. I went on to do shotgun rifle and manually operated rifle. I then did my business competency, um, I did which I needed for the business to hold the dealer's comp. Well, again, I'm going to interrupt you. For the people 
listening, Nikki sells guns too. She's mm-hmm. a firearm dealer and she had to qualify to do that. And she runs a firearm dealership in addition to being pretty handy with firearms as well. Correct. And then, of course, I needed to um, qualify as an instructor because it was the next thing to do. Um, and because I wanted to understand the material, as I said, really get my hands dirty. So if I went and I did, I sat on a couple of different instructor courses. Um, I don't believe that you can grow too quickly. I think you've got to do your due diligence. So I sat on a couple of courses before I did it officially. I officially did the course. I was going to settle for an intermediate level. Were you the only female? On course? No, actually, I wasn't. And it's quite interesting to see women starting to to sort of enter the, this male-dominated environment. And there's more women than what you would think. Sport shooting is incredibly popular amongst women. And I think that women are, I certainly am, um, more, more interested in, in defending ourselves as opposed to allowing others to defend us. So, and maybe it's a situation of I didn't need to before and I need to now. The message it's is pleasure. you have the same capabilities as a man. And you, in going through this process, have most definitely made that abundantly clear. And that you don't need to rely on a man to protect you and you don't need to rely on a man to work and provide you with uh, the comforts of life. You took a tragedy and you turned it into a success story by learning how to sell firearms, how to handle firearms, and then take over the business. Tell me what you found in terms of attitudes, just generally, not necessarily with instructors, but with the public. How did they perceive you I don't deal a hell of a lot with the public. I deal a lot with um, with the training providers themselves. I've sat in on a couple of basic courses and assisted on the range, especially when we have somebody who's slight framed, um, similar to me, and they want to come in and do a, shot, a basic shotgun course or they're taking over their husband's pistol or whatever the case may be. And women do things a little bit differently. Our, our bodies are designed differently. So, yes, while we can still step up on the line and hit the target, we may need a slightly lighter firearm or a, slight, a firearm with a slightly smaller smaller grip. And I think from that point of view, I add value. I want women to be asking the questions of when I decide to get a firearm, what is it that I want to get and what do I need to consider? Am I going to carry it in my purse? From a woman's point of view. Absolutely. absolutely. And if a woman walks into your typical gun shop, and I say this with respect to the firearm dealers, it's difficult to get female advice over the counter for a female because many of the people that work in gun shops are male, and they're limited by their their gender and their experiences, aren't they? Yes, very similar to the motor industry. (laughs) (laughs) So is it true that women learn more quickly and are better than men when it comes to firearms? I think that it doesn't matter who you are. If you put the work in, you will achieve the goals. And it's not women so much that learn faster. I find analytical brains learn faster in a firearms environment. I'm not entirely sure as to why that is. The people who excel, though, are the people who are prepared to put in the hard work. And I did. I put in a lot of hard work last year. Um, I had bleeding elbows when I walked off the range, um, off the tactical outdoor range. Let's talk about the tactical element because we haven't explained it yet. And I know it's not an environment that you typically find a lady. And I am pushing the lady agenda because I need the message. I need the message to go out to, to, to women in particular that they can defend themselves. They can learn how to do it. They can have fun in the process and they can possibly even make a career out of it. So tell us a little bit about tactical training. So tactical tra- training was tough and it is tough and it's not glamorous like what you see on TV in the black tactical gear, etc. It's getting 
down into the prone position, which is lying on your tummy with your rifle extended out at the target and shooting the target until your, your elbows bleed. And hitting the target. And hitting the target, obviously. Otherwise, you don't pass. So it's a tough environment. And there, I struggled. I won't lie. I struggled. It wasn't sexy like in the movies. I looked a little like a caterpillar on a hot tin roof. But I did the qualification, and I'll continue to grow, and eventually I'll have it down. And I suppose that's the message, is do your due diligence. If you want to own a firearm, do it the right way. Apply for everything correctly. So let's let's talk a little bit more with some specifics now because you are a success story in the training environment. But what do people now need to know so that they can go and they can prepare themselves to obtain a firearm at a basic level? So we're talking about perhaps self-defense. And what can they do once they've got that if they, if they think that there may be a career in this for them because you've done the qualifications and as part of the business of ITA – you provide training manuals to the industry, and that industry is made up of people such as me who would come in and say, I need to get a shotgun and go and do the training. But it's also made up of people that run their own businesses and that are instructors in their own right, and they make a living out of it. So just take us through that process so that people know where to go, what they need to do, and what the opportunities are. Okay, so I'm going to start at the top. So he has this organization called International Training Academy. We specialize in firearm training, but we also have a database or a full qualification of manuals, with which, which are these unit standards that we spoke about before. And we provide this training material to accredited training providers across the country. We have over 260 of these training providers that use our material. They use our material because they know that it is, it is accredited with a professional body or the quality assurer and that the material that is required to further their career in, in firearms training or to simply get themselves a competency license um, to be able to apply for a firearm license. Tell me what a competency certificate is. Okay, so I'm going to take a step back. So essentially what happens is I decide as a, as a civilian, a first-time firearm owner, potential first-time firearm owner, that I would like a firearm for self-defense. I now need to go ahead and find a, a training provider that I can do the double one double seven oh five unit standard knowledge of the act and the basic um, unit standard for the firearm in which I'd like to apply for the competency test in. So, for example, if I wanted a, a handgun, I would go into a training provider. I would do a double one double seven oh five unit standard and then a basic unit standard for handle and use a handgun. The training provider would then issue me with a training provider certificate. If I can stop you there. What about the law? Do you learn the law? Yes, you do. That's the, the unit standard double one double seven oh five, and it's based on Section 9 of the Firearms Control Act. And then you mention the word or the phrase handle and use a firearm. So when people have to do this training, is there a practical element involved? Yes. Do they, do they fire a firearm? Yes, there is. And wouldn't you agree that that's important? No, ab absolutely. <laughs> um, so how does that access to and use of a firearm take? place? Does it take place in a classroom on a shooting range? Okay, so let me walk you through the process. So the person will come along, they'll collect their training material from the training provider. They'll go away with the training material. So it's usually two manuals, the double one double seven oh five training manual and the one double one nine six four nine, for example, for handgun. They'd go away with that. They'd have some time to work through the manual and then complete the uh, formative exam, which is an open book exam based on the contents of the manual. And then they'll come back for a training session in the classroom. 
When they're in the classroom, they will, we, we will again touch on what's, what's in the manual to ensure that they understand parts and functions of the firearm, how to stand, how to grip the firearm, et cetera, et cetera. We'll touch on the law again. And very often people will come with questions with regards to the law scenarios that they want to be sure that they know when they can and cannot use their firearm. And then from there, we will do a summative exam, which is a closed book exam. What about safety? Safety so, is the first thing that we touch on after, after we've discussed the law. So, so absolutely. So the, the safety aspect and the training and the law is very interesting from the point of view of, for example, the Oscar Pistorius situation, where if he'd done the unit standards, he should have known when he could and couldn't shoot. And he should have known at the same time how to handle the firearm correctly. Is that the type of outcome that this uh, process is designed to um, provide for? Absolutely. And that's what makes this process, the ITO process and the ITO system such an important one, is not only do we provide training material to the public through our training providers, but we also, we also provide what we call a portfolio of evidence cover for these training providers so that when a learner comes through um, the process, they have to complete all these documents or what we call evidence, whether it's the open book exam, the closed book exam, the shots on the target, and all those things get saved in this portfolio of evidence evidence and that portfolio could be called called for in a court case to prove whether somebody was indeed found competent to use a firearm or not so that's the important part it's a, it's a very important part because what we have is a legislative requirement for training the training is given in a particular way and it's documented so if there is some sort of misuse of a firearm the police or other authority can go back and say did this person have the correct training and that, and the training provider must keep it. That's right, for six and years. For six years. Mm-hmm. And of course, that, um, should give the public comfort that people who have firearm licenses have to go through a minimum standard of training, which involves the use of a firearm as well as a test on safety, a test on the law. And they, they have to be assessed by someone such as yourself. I find this person competent. And you, as the training provider, take that responsibility, don't you? That's right. So, so if that person did not do the training properly, or if that person was, and I use the phrase loosely, pushed through, and they subsequently misuse a firearm, that comes back on the trainer, doesn't it? It does, but it's to everyone's detriment. So following the correct process, doing the closed book, doing the open book and going onto the range and showing the person how to handle and use a firearm correctly and safely and to make sure that they can get those shots on the targets is incredibly important. And that's what the ITA network provides and promotes. To me, an obvious question is, do people learn at different rates? In other words, you might take somebody onto the range and they might have... Um, a very good mechanical understanding of how a firearm works and uh, they, they may be, be well aware of how their body functions and they, they can get to use a firearm very quickly. Um, I, on the other hand, and your husband always used to tell me this, I have to take twice as much time because I don't have that mechanical and I don't have that physical aptitude. Well, what do you do if someone takes longer than another student to get to grip with the basics? What happens? You take the time. So you put the person through the process. You let them shoot the target. There's a, there's a, um, every training course should, should have an amount of ammunition in it to give the person a fair chance to 
get to feel the firearm, get a, a couple of shots on the target before they even stand up to do the qualification shoot. And if they still battle with the qualification shoot, then we take the additional time with them. There could be a host of different things, not just body mechanics. They could have a fear of firearms. Um, they could just be, be having a bad day. So the, the important thing is to take the time. This is not a sausage machine process. It's not. It's tailored and individualized to each student. And that student, irrespective of their knowledge, education, background, experience, they have to meet that minimum criteria. They do. Even a, even a person who comes in with a disability needs to be able to meet that criteria because at the end of the day, they're walking out onto the streets into society with a loaded firearm and everyone's lives are, are in jeopardy at, at that point. It's much like somebody driving a car. You don't put them into a car and send them out into the street to drive around where kids are playing and other motorists are so around. So it's safety. Absolutely, it's safety. But it's also, it, it goes back to that law element, Martin, and I know you're quite familiar with this, is that they must also know when to be able to use that firearm. So coupled with the, with the intimate understanding of when can I use the firearm to protect myself or others um, and how can I do that safely, that's the bottom bottom line. So it's about public safety. Absolutely. It's a, it's a, public it's a, and, and, and personal safety. And it's a requirement of the act. It is. And if someone wants to get a firearm license, then they do the training. They pass or fail. If they don't pass, what happens? They can come back again. And we'll take them through some training. There are some very clever techniques that we can use to assist. Um, the instructors are well trained, and they will um, they will spend some time with the with the person um, and take them through through some of the things that are that they're battling with, and show them some techniques to improve their shooting techniques. Let's talk very briefly about the career prospects because I think that you're a success story. You've taken the industry, and I think to a certain extent you've taken it by the neck and shaken it mm. around a bit. Can people make a living out of training in firearms? Definitely. And I want to stress this here. You can absolutely make a living out of firearm training, but you have to be passionate about it and you have to be passionate about doing it in the right way. So selling certificates, putting holes through targets for your, for your students, that's not the way to do it. To follow the process, you need to follow the process properly. Find yourself an accredited um accredited lead service provider, whether you're writing your own material or whether you're going to use somebody else's material, do it the right way, tick the right boxes, and then you'll be successful. You are leading on to another very important aspect, and that is that we've just talked about the training, and you mentioned putting holes in targets and selling certificates. But that's difficult to do because you're also subject to regulation, aren't you? You're subject to a degree of control, a, a degree of uh, not supervision, but if you do not keep to the terms of your accreditation, you can lose an accreditation, can't you? Yes, you can. And that regulatory body is called the Professional Firearms Trainers Council, which we're going to talk about um, in a different episode. And that, too, ensures that the training that you give is up to a, a, a minimum standard and that it is done in a manner that no corners are cut. True, true. So the PFTC quality assures the firearms industry. So we send all our, our material through to the PFTC and they um, work through our material, ensure that it meets the criteria of the unit standard, which was laid out by SACWA, uh, the South African Qualifications Authority. And then they um, give us a, an accreditation on our material, which we can then um, sell on to our, our respective training providers who sign a, an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding with us. We're quite selective on on 
on that kind of thing because we obviously have a brand and a reputation and we want the best out there in the industry. So, um, yes, our, not only is our material qu- um, quality assured, but also the training in our, in our environment is quality assured. And it goes back to that portfolio of evidence that I was talking about earlier. They will check to see that those elements are in your portfolio of evidence before they issue you with what they call a statement of results, which is what the, the person uses to apply for the competency at the end of the day. Nikki, tell me about the structure of ITA. ITA is one of the largest service providers for firearm training in South Africa. Not only do we provide firearm training from basic level right up to instructor and tactical level, we also supply training material to a host of training providers across the country. So ITA specializes in training um, people up to instructor level, and then those instructors in turn go out and work for training providers or start their own companies that are, that are accredited training providers, and they provide training to to the public. And you're at the top of this organization, and you crack the whip, and you make sure that everybody who falls within your umbrella does it according to the practices that you stipulate. That's right. Martin, but also it's a really nice process. It's a, it's a complete process. So we don't just sell manuals to training providers. We sell a process that makes it easy for them to stick to the accredited training, the way in which we get quality assured, etc. So it's more of a, a business solution than just training provider material. So the, the correct answer was, yes, I cracked the whip. So that was Nikki Pretorius, who is head of what is the largest training body in South Africa and... I wish her the best of luck. This is CliffCentral.com.